Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is sponsored by Hero Power. Support clean energy at no extra cost. Go to myheropower.com and in less than two minutes, get Green E certified renewable energy certificates. They'll match 100% of your electricity use. Never pay more than ComEd rate. Your bill doesn't change. Your service doesn't change. Plus, get $25 off your first bill just for helping us fight climate change. Go to myheropower.com. Myheropower.com. Let's get today's show going, Yes, huh? sir. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, April 30th. It's just moments away, but before we get into this, we got to thank the following unions for sponsoring this podcast. Unions like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9 sponsors, as well as the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Thanks, unions. And of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by our dear, dear friends. At the Chicago Federation of Labor. Uh, listeners, convoy update. Ben's still singing that damn song. <laughs> it's Thursday. He's been singing it since Tuesday morning. No, no. Last week. I've been singing it since last week. Remember? When Operation Gridlock broke. For some reason, because they were in their cars. It just I thought of convoy. You know, they were communicating through CB radios. Well, we need a fresh, new song of the day. All right, here you go. How about uh, one of your favorite bands, uh, D? Cheap trick. Mama's alright, daddy's alright. Just gets a little, you know, so that air guy. guitar. <laughs> and then I love the part where they go, uh, "Got my Kiss records out." Do not invite him to karaoke night. <laughs> Do not. Well, I mean, if you want a, a good laugh, maybe. Uh, yeah, right. Right. laugh at the old guy. <laughs> the Bendrovsky show starts now. Back down. <laughs> it is Thursday, oh April 30th. <laughs> and, and live from Ben's house, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. <laughs> yes, Ben's horrible at singing. Today on the program, Union Man Ed Maher. And now your host, also a union man. Yes. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Legal Eagle Thursday. And here's why. Oh. <laughs> that was an eagle. Like, yeah. Uh, and lawsuits are flying, ladies and gentlemen. Suddenly, every Republican from one of the state to the other has discovered his inner Perry Mason. Man, they can't get to court fast enough. Their purpose? <laughs> well, as always, folks, there's the stated purpose and the unstated purpose. And generally what I've discovered, ladies and gentlemen, in my many years of covering politics, is that the unstated purpose is usually a little closer to the truth 
than the stated purpose. The stated purpose of these Republican legislators challenging J.B. Pritzker's authority uh, to order us to stay at home. They say he's overstepped his uh, bounds and he's acting like a tyrant. The real purpose? Come on, we're not dumb, ladies and gentlemen. It's all about helping Donald Trump win re-election in November. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> Me either. I'm sorry, that one gets me every... I'm not a doctor. I could still see him doing it with his hands. But what a clown, ladies and gentlemen. President Eden, I'm not a doctor. And then he tells him, I'm not a doctor, but it seems to me it's a good idea to take Lysol. I'm not a doctor. No, no doctor in his right mind would say that. Although I bet you could find... You know what, Dan? I wouldn't be surprised if they found some doctor somewhere. You don't need... Wait, I get on TV if I say take Lysol? Okay. Anyway. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> anyway, first loyalty of all Republicans, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget this. It's not the health and safety of the citizens of Illinois. Oh, no. It's the health and safety of the re-election campaign of one, Donald John Trump. Now, let me take a moment to give us a little geography lesson, all right? And this is for myself as much as for everybody else. I have a tendency, I like to make a confession here, D. I have a tendency to say that anybody who exists outside of Chicago or the suburbs around Chicago is a downstater, okay? I just want to say that yes, I'm- Yes, you do. Yes, you do. I, I have this tendency. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, confessing to it. I'm not proud of it. Shouldn't be. Uh, it, no. Exactly. Okay. I'm, okay. I'm, you shouldn't <laughs> be proud of it. I just said I wasn't proud of it. <laughs> I'm making a confession. Good. In the middle of a confession, he's interrupting me. Yeah, yeah, you're wrong. I'm, hence the confession. All right. So, yes, it's true. It's right. I'm wrong. It's out of ignorance. It's out of uh, geographical ignorance. I do not uh, have a firm understanding of the map of Illinois. Okay, and I blame that on spending way too much time as a child following the Chicago Bulls. Uh, i got to blame it on something, Hundy. Uh, anyway, so uh, I have a tendency to think of anything outside of Chicago is downstate, and that is not true. So, yes, there is a downstate, and generally that's stuff south of Chicago, correct, D? Yes. Yes. Okay, thank you very much. That's correct. <laughs> that's, that's what I was hoping for. Uh, but, in fact, there are parts of Illinois that are like, Above Chicago, the north of Chicago. So I guess that would be called what? Upstate? Chicago land? No, but beyond Chicago land. I guess it gets everything. If you're like damn near Wisconsin, right? Yes, yes. That's what I'm talking about. So, uh, and then I guess it would be across the state, but whatever. Not everything is downstate if it's not in Chicago. Now, there's a tendency of people who don't like Chicago, no matter where they live, to think of, of the state of Illinois as one giant state other than Chicago. So I'm not alone in my ignorance. Just saying. All right. Uh, those got the Eastern Bloc, but they're from downstate, aren't they? Is, aren't they, the Eastern Bloc that wants to uh, rewrite the, redraw the state map so Chicago is not in it? You got to look at it as uh, on professional baseball terms. You know what I mean? They're down, Cardinals fans. They all love the Cardinals. Upstate, you're talking about those upstate towns outside of Chicago? Yeah. Cubs fans. But, uh, it's or, all upstate. Or Sox. It's all Chicago. Or Sox. Yeah. And you may be getting some Brewers territory there. And nobody likes the Brewers. Oh. Even people in Wisconsin don't like the Brewers. Okay? And there <laughs> our Wisconsin audience. You know, and I was really doing so well with them, thanking them for voting for Jill Karofsky. All right, I've got to do better with Wisconsin. Anyway, so... um. 
the reason that this uh, geography lesson is relevant is because I'm now going to talk about the two lawsuits uh, have the, that have been filed. One was filed by uh, Darren Bailey. We've talked a lot about this. He's from Xenia, which is downstate, right, D? Uh, it's a town of 391 people. Uh, just down the road from Lexington. Ever been to Lexington, D? Never been. Okay, well, I'm telling you, uh, it's, it's sort of in your neck of the woods. Okay. It's, it's roughly Xenia and Lexington are roughly... Xenia. Xenia, yeah, Xenia. What did I say? Xenia. Okay, you know, what are you, Mr. Geography all of a sudden? Uh, there's roughly... Uh, Xenia is roughly 250 miles south of Chicago. So what do you what you want to do, uh, D, is take I-157 I down south, okay? Take I-57, all right? All right, I love all when right. people talk about highways. That's something else I don't know anything about highways. You ever notice that? Yeah. I know nothing about highways. Uh, Xenia is also, it's closer to St. Louis than it is Chicago. You know how far it is from St. Louis, D? What, about a few hundred miles, right? Uh, 91 miles. Oh. All right, hey, you, you got to learn your little downstate geography, Mr. Uh -huh. Alton. All right, and you know how to get there? Do you know how to get from Xenia to uh, St. Louis? Highway 57? Uh, no. 55? Uh, no. <laughs> Nine, 740. I can 460. <laughs> Ready, set, 2020. Uh, I-64. All right. Did you know about I-64? No. All right. What is this? Uh, anyway, I did a geography. It was, a f it was 5 in the morning, and I was looking all this stuff up because I want to be a little more learned about geography. Uh, anyway, Darren Bailey was the one who uh, filed the first lawsuit. We talked a lot about that. The second suit uh, was filed by a, a Republican state rep, John Cabello, and he comes from McChesney Park. Do you know where that is, D? McChesney Park? Yeah. Kenny, Kenny McChesney? I don't know. I don't know where it's at. Uh, well, okay, I'll tell you. Uh, McChesney Park is a suburb of Rockford in Winnebago County. Oh. Uh, that would be northern Illinois, oh. just south of the Wisconsin border. It's the 16th Congressional District, by the way, uh, home to Danny B. Uh, Danny Brzezewski was on the show yesterday, and she is a Democratic candidate for Congress. Uh, she did a great job in the, in the interview yesterday. I urged absolutely everybody to vote for her. How about that, D? An endorsement for Danny B. Uh, McChesney Park is about 86 miles north of Chicago on I-90. People love it when you say highways, D. People love highways. Anyway, uh, it's a lot closer to Wisconsin than it is to Chicago, as I was saying, but it's a lot further away from St. Louis. So it's like two different ends of the state. As long as I'm on the subject, it's the home of Harlem High School. D. Uh, their teams are known as the Huskies, and one of their proudest alumni. Are you ready for this? Drum roll, please. Is Robin Zander. That's correct. Who is the lead vocalist for Cheap Trick. And that is why... I led the show off with the cheap tricks well, on. It was a windy road, but we got there, guys. <laughs> Surrender, don't give yourself away. <laughs> Point is, uh, <laughs> uh, McChesney Park, like Xenia, is Trump country. And in Trump country, the number one thing you have to remember is that Trump comes first. All right? I'm not a doctor. <laughs> they love Trump. And they hate Democrats, which leads us to J.B. Pritzker. J.B. Pritzker is the Democratic governor of Illinois, so they hate him. As such, they have to figure out tactics that can invoke some greater principle to denounce J.B. Pritzker's handling of the pandemic. 
And so really, folks, they're, we're going we're gonna to probably talk about this a little later in the show. I think this is going to be a big theme today. People who, uh, let's see, who articulate great principles uh, in pursuit of shabby tactics. So the general principle they're invoking in the case of Pritzker is that in liberty, in other words, uh, he's trampling on their rights as free Americans with his ultimatums that they stay at home or not go to work uh, or close their businesses, etc. Now, it's an interesting take. Each lawsuit is a little different. Let's start with uh, Bailey's. His lawsuit says that there is no health danger uh, in his neck of the woods that justifies, that warrants uh, Pritzker's order so that he alone, Darren Bailey, should not be forced uh, to stay at home or not be able to go to the barbershop or not be able to go to bowling, etc. Now, since he's only invoking his rights, it's a little uncertain how he'll get to go bowling if uh, he prevails. The bowling alleys won't be open, but uh, that's his case. And the reason I think he makes that case is that he is from Clay County. And in Clay County, I looked this up, there's only two confirmed cases of COVID-19 and nobody has died from it. So really, he can make sort of more or less a credible argument that it's not a health uh, hazard in Clay County, at the moment anyway. And he found this judge downstate who agreed with him uh, that there is no pending health hazard in Clay County. Uh, it's a little tougher for John Cabello to make that argument up in Winnebago County uh, in the north part of the, the state because I think uh, last time I looked, there were 343 cases of COVID-19 and eight deaths. So it's a little harder for him to make the argument that it's not a health hazard. So his argument is just a little different. He's uh, invoking the, the notion that Pritzker does not have the power, the authority to have a second or stay-at-home order that uh, it only the first one was the only one he had a constitutional authority to make and that he needs legislative approval for it. So in his own way, he's a little like, we talked a lot about this the other day, D, the uh, alderman in the Chicago City Council who claimed that Lori Lightfoot is violating her authority as mayor when she wanted to take control of budget matters and appropriate and, and get to approve contracts of up to a million dollars for COVID-related uh, expenses. So, you know, it's kind of the general notion of a check and a balance that the uh, legislative body should have authority over the executive body or at least uh, have some kind of uh, governance over them that the executive body should not run just rampant all over the uh, a legislative body they should respect them etc so uh that's the general argument that uh john cabello making is making it's not that different from the argument that trumpsters are making in michigan uh it's not that much different uh than the argument that trumpsters are making in wisconsin in each case there's a similarity a democratic governor illinois democratic governor jb pritzker uh, in Michigan, it's Gretchen Whitmer. In Wisconsin, it's Tony Evers. Uh, as they see it, those Republican legislators in those three states are arguing that these Democratic governors have gone too far. They're taking authority and powers that is are not warranted by their office, and they're trampling on the liberties of them as the, of Republican legislators and the legislative bodies in general. So that's their argument they're going to be making. Uh, and uh, that's the argument, the constitutional issue they're raising. I'd like to point out, once again, the difference between a principle and a tactic. They're invoking a principle 
in pursuit of a tactic. They want to undermine the credibility of the Democratic governors of the, uh, the states that they reside in. Uh, they want to have a scapegoat to blame uh, for when for the uh, recession we're about to enter. We have, we're probably already in the middle of a recession, maybe to be a depression. So they want to shift the blame from Donald Trump to governors. They want to say it was the uh, governors like Pritzker and Evers and uh, who shut down the economy. Uh, and that has led to this overwhelming recession or depression. And that's the reason why there's so much unemployment. So they're trying to shift the blame. They're already doing this. Uh, th this is already an argument you'll hear on Fox TV, etc. This is just the local version of it. I like to point something out. So that's the that's the unstated reason why they're doing what they're what they're doing, uh, and as opposed to the stated reason. And the reason and the reason I don't believe I don't believe them when they say they stand up for liberty and they stand up for the rights of legislative bodies is because they've been awfully silent in the face of Donald Trump's authoritarian-like behavior. I didn't see any of these Republicans. I did not see John Cabello, for instance, standing up uh, to denounce Donald Trump when what? He issued an executive order changing immigration policy in this country? How about standing up to Donald Trump uh, when he ordered his aides not to respond to congressional subpoenas uh, in the impeachment process? How about standing up to Donald Trump when he says he's above the law and it does not have to... Uh, turn over his income tax statements, that the president of the United States cannot be sued when he's in office. Well, he can get a haircut then. That's why he didn't speak out against Trump. <laughs> okay. Well, you're saying, why didn't he speak out against Trump? John Cabello. Because he can get a haircut then. He didn't care. Now he can't get a haircut. Oh, I see. That's the reason. I was like, where did that come from? I see. Yeah. Okay. As long as he doesn't infringe on John Cabello's right to get a haircut, uh, Trump can do anything he wants. Well, maybe that's a legal argument, the haircut argument. So it's interesting. They uh, are against Democratic tyrants. But when it comes to the tyranny of Donald Trump, eh, you know, not so much against that. Listen, I said this yesterday. I said it the day before. So I'll say it throughout. I defend the right of all these Republicans, Cabello and Bailey, to challenge Pritzker to take these cases to court. But I think Pritzker made a pretty good point the other day when he said it was a cheap political ploy. Some oh, might cheap say, trick, if you will. It's a cheap trick. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Correct. We got a great show, everybody. Doctor D is so eager. I stole your line, man. I didn't know <laughs> that. We. You know what? It's not your fault. We didn't have a pre-show prep today. Stop admitting that. <laughs> I could have said, "Hey, D, don't say cheap trick." But you. You know what? I'm really happy you did that because it shows you were listening. <laughs> Remember, we were talking yesterday about sometimes people don't listen. Anyway, uh, we have a great show today. Eddie Maher will be here, uh, operating engineers, Eddie, local 150, and. Talking about how the efforts uh, by employers to use the pandemic to undercut unions. Uh, this is uh, happening all over the country. So, a lot of union talk uh, with Ed Maher, a lot of political talk ahead of us. Before we do any of that, the young man from Alton, the leader of the band known as Dr. D and the White Lightnings, <laughs> with the news. I'm not in a band. How's it going, everybody? But you got to admit, that was pretty clever. The way I brought Cheap Trick back to it. Come on. Let's hear it for our host, guys. Surrender. Don't give yourself away. Sorry. 
Before we find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon, something happened a couple days back, and Ben, we just keep forgetting to talk about it. Now, as most of you are aware, due to the coronavirus pandemic, we have been doing the show remotely from Ben's Attic and featured quite heavily on our program in the background. Not one, but two trains. You've heard the brown line about four times already. Also, the Metra is right by Ben's house as well. Two trains. Well, actually, I say two. Technically, there's three, because in the last month, the Joe Biden endorsement train has been rolling on. <laughs> yeah, choo-choo. Yes. Joey B. Now, chances are, if they are a popular Democratic political figure, they have voiced their support for letting Grandpa drive by endorsing Joe Biden in the 2020 presidential election. Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, Tulsi Gabbard, Elizabeth Warren, fellow Grandpa Bernie Sanders, and Barack mother beeping Obama. Have even endorsed Joe Biden. Wait, Tulsa, I miss Tulsi's endorsement. Yeah, Tulsi Gabbard endorsed Joe Biden as well. But Ben Jarofsky, we can add one more name to the list. How did you go from sharing stories <laughs> over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Uh, good, good question. question. <laughs> yes. It's former first lady and former 2016 and 2008 presidential candidate Hillary Rodham Clinton. She endorsed Biden during a virtual women's town hall on Tuesday. We have the audio. Shout out to ABC News for this audio. Be great if you didn't sue us. We're going to play it in moments. But before we do, Ben, you've been on the fence about your verbal endorsement. Uh, Is this news from Hillary Clinton enough to get you to voice your support right here, right now for Joe Biden as our candidate in the 2020 presidential race? Well, as I've made it clear from the get-go, I will vote for Joe Biden. Remember I said, D, I'd vote for whoever uh, was the Democratic nominee. I'm not really excited about it. I'm not excited, not enthusiastic (laughs) at all. No, Joey B uh, was not my first choice, to put it mildly. Got a lot of issues with uh, Mr. Biden. But uh, Trump is so bad that I definitely... Remember I said this? There are three categories of Bernie supporters, and I'm in the first category. Uh, I pretty much will hold my nose and vote for whoever the Democratic candidate is on the grounds that in this particular case, he or she will be far better than Donald John Trump. So, yes, I will be voting for Joe Biden. All right. If he's still on the ticket, that is. So he's uh, endorsing. He'll vote Joe Biden. Uh, He's not too enthusiastic about it. Yeah. What about you? Me? Yeah. Or are you going to pull a Dave Glow at me? Uh, ben, I'm really not. <laughs> Whose name's on that banner over there in the corner? Uh, oh, Ben Jarofsky. Uh, there's that, no banner. Does it say Dennis on it anywhere? Okay, so making sure. Uh, All right, I have a few clips to play. Let's hear. Wait, hold on. D, come out from under that table. <laughs> I'm scared. Come on, D. Uh, uh. Let's hear what Hillary had to say. Take it away, Joe Biden. Hey, Joe Biden. <laughs> Wake up! It's your turn to talk now! I'm so thrilled to have my friend, the former senator and former secretary of state, and the woman who should be president of the United States right now, Hillary Clinton. Welcome, Hillary. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much, Joe. It's a real pleasure to be here with you and to be part of this very important discussion. And I am thrilled uh, to be part of your campaign to not only endorse you, but to help highlight a lot of the issues that are at stake uh, in this presidential election. As you just so rightly said, uh, this terrible pandemic that we're all going through hits a lot of Americans much harder than others. Uh, We've seen it firsthand in hospitalizations and in, unfortunately, Uh, fatalities. 
But we've also seen it when we look uh, at the pictures uh, of those people on the front lines. Do you know 80% of all healthcare workers in America are women? And one out of three jobs held by women in our country has been classified as essential. So this is an issue that affects all of us, uh, young and old, every kind of background from every walk of life. I can't argue with anything she said, and this is why generally push come to shove. Uh, I'm with the Democrat. I vote for the Democrat because push come to shove, at least when they're seeking votes, Democrats will articulate the values that I believe in. You know, what they do once they're elected, D, is a whole other uh, issue. You know, whether they follow through, whether they stand true to their values, whether they start moving right as soon as they can. But uh, push come to shove in an election, they will uh, more closely represent the values I believe in. And uh, so what she's talking about, uh, 80% of healthcare care uh, workers are women and one of three job holders uh, are women and jobs that are considered essential. They are on the front lines. But I want to give a good shout out to our good friend, uh, Anna, by the way, just take this moment, dear friend of both of ours. Uh, she's a nurse uh, in Chicago and uh, she had uh, COVID-19 and she's gotten better and she's back at work. So shout out to Anna and uh, everybody else on the front lines. And so I would hope that Democrats would be looking out for our frontline workers, tr doing everything they can to get more uh, equipment for them and, uh, uh, and, and, and just get them hazard pay and... If they're if they're sick, make sure they have insurance, all that kind of stuff. You know, insurance kind of be important. Don't run away from the issue of Medicare for all. Hey, Democrats, don't run away. Come on, I'm holding you up here. Anyway, that's she seems to be saying the right things. The all right, Ben's feeling it. One for one on the clips here. Ben agrees. Next up. Ben Jarofsky, it's confession time. Uh -oh. Toward the end of the virtual <laughs> town hall interview, Joe Biden came clean with the former first lady. Well, I have to tell you something completely honestly, straightforward. I wish this were us doing this and my supporting your reelection for <laughs> president of the United States. You won the majority of the vote. I think the, uh, the way in which... Uh, some of the states acted was just, anyway, I, I, we would not, uh, we, we'd have problems, we'd have the pandemic, but you would have already been prepared for it. Still would have been hard, but you would have done a lot uh, to keep us from getting so in such a dire strait. Well, I'll tell you one thing I would have done, Joe, which you know so well, I would have read my daily intelligence briefings <laughs> that were sounding the alarm since January, oh, but apparently this president doesn't God. do what we used to do. <laughs> you know, I was just... I Trump burn. Yeah, Trump burn. Uh, I, by the way, agree with that. She did win the election. Uh, we have a strange system of determining who our, our president is. And I would like to point out, uh-oh, D, I'm supposed to be feeling all democratic, but here I go. I just do not understand from a tactical strategic point, the Democratic Party at all, this is twice in this century, twice in 20 years, that de Democrats have won the popular vote and lost the White House because of a bizarre electoral uh, college system. David Ferris talks about this all the time when he comes on the show, political science da scientist David Ferris. If the... If the roles were reversed and it was Republicans who lost in 2000, 
that Republicans are already well underway or constitutional amendment getting rid of the Electoral College. Democrats, I do not understand, D, why they go into this fight with one hand behind their back. So they're all saying, oh, yeah, you should have, uh, but you were the winner. You got the most votes. You should be the president. But they do nothing to change the system that has resulted in Donald Trump uh, acting as though he has a mandate. So I agree with the general sentiment there, but little, you know, hesitant to fully endorse uh, everything they're saying. All right. Uh, we got one more clip here. Uh, they're talking about the pandemic. And Ben, she quoted your boy here. All right. Thank God, former Chicago mayor, Rahm Emanuel. Yeah, she quoted your boy. Oh, I thought you were going to. Dave Ferris is my boy. <laughs> no, she quoted your other boy, uh, oh. former Chicago mayor, Rahm Emanuel. Uh, you mean uh, I'm smart, you're not, that boy? Take a chill pill, man. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I quoted him the other day too. I guess I got a feeling I know what quote's coming. Let me hear. Here we go. This is a high stakes time uh, because of the pandemic, but this is also a really high stakes election. And every form of health care should continue to be available, including uh, reproductive health care for every woman uh, in this country. Uh, and then it needs to be part of a much larger system that eventually and quickly, I hope, gets us to universal health care. So uh, I, I can uh, only uh, say amen to everything you're saying, but also to, again, enlist people that this would be a terrible crisis to waste, as the old saying goes. We've mm -hmm. learned a lot about what our absolute... Uh, frailties are in our country when it comes to health justice and economic justice. So, you know, let's be resolved that we're going to solve those once you're elected president. Yeah, the crisis go to waste. Thing. Yeah, but you know, she didn't give Ram a shout out. That's the difference between Hillary and me. I always give him a shout out when I quote him. Okay, you know, as Ram would say, as I mean, hey, Mayor Ram, you got to admit, I always give you credit for the things you say. Uh, Hillary stole his line. It didn't give him any credit. You know why? Nobody wants to be anywhere near the guy. I'm not stood on except for George Stephanopoulos. He thought, oh, this is a good idea. Uh, have this guy come on. They ran him out of Chicago. I'll turn to advice for him. So, uh, yeah. Shout out to Rom. He rode his bike. Where did you ride again? I just biked around Lake Michigan. Uh, and how many miles? <laughs> Nearly a thousand miles. Wow. <laughs> that was... <laughs> Oh, you fool me. I love that one a thousand. Man. Everywhere I went, I asked people about health care. <laughs> Nobody's. Remember that? That's the rest of the quote. Uh, people where Rom goes. And nobody asked me about health care. Yeah, nobody talked to you. Nobody likes you. They all went the other way. So I had a big goofy helmet on and short shorts. And I was just walking around asking people about health care. Yeah, he's such a friendly guy. He didn't go to any. He didn't talk I to anyone. sweating profusely. <laughs> and no one would talk to me. Uh, I think that's why we rode around the lake but someone was in a car behind him you know i mean it wasn't whatever it wasn't like he was camping out at the side of look here's the thing about the the great rom quote about uh I, no, never let a good crisis i think he said good crisis not terrible crisis so at least hillary had enough sense to say terrible you know Rom. well great people are dying oh, i'll take advantage of it uh we, when rom said that of course it was when um he was the uh, chief of staff to barack obama uh, Barack Obama, uh, newly elected president. Of You're getting better the, at that like, Obama impression. Yeah, uh, peanut butter cup. Uh, and, right? Isn't that what he says? Yes. Uh, so uh, the, we were in the middle of a recession. And you would think 
that the Democrats, being Democrats, would take that opportunity, I don't know, to fortify union rights, uh, to make sure that uh, people who lost their homes uh, because of the economic collapse uh, got got some of their money back, did, did, not, did not have to get moved out of their homes. Instead, they, they, they came up with a solution that fortified the banks who pretty much were responsible for the breakdown, enabled the banks to give uh, big bonuses to their executives. So it was a, a solution to a problem that didn't really help most of the people who were hit hardest by the problem. So the solution they came up with, the advantage they took of the crisis was to help people who didn't really need the help. And this is my beloved Democratic Party, D. Oh. And then they dropped the ball. Okay, I can't, I got to give them credit for Obamacare. At least they got some health care through. It's better than anything the Republicans have. But I would have thought they would have taken the initiative uh, to bring, you know, to really put the full court press on for health care for all. Now, my friends of the Democratic uh, centrist persuasion always tell me, Ben, you're unrealistic. Ben, There's not, we're going to lose those swing districts in Wisconsin. You lost them anyway. So you had the worst of both worlds. You you abandoned your values and you still lost uh, the midterm elections. Anyway, so uh, yes, the last time the Democrats had a crisis, they didn't really take full advantage of it. Maybe this time it'll be different. So there you are. Highlights uh, from Hillary Clinton endorsing Joe Biden during uh, Tuesday's virtual women's town hall been a virtual women's town hall. And not once did the uh, accusations of one Tara Reid come up during this town hall. Are you surprised by this? No. Not at all. Uh, hmm. I can, I have a lot to say in this subject. Do you have more news stuff that you want to that, that was to? my setup for you, pal. All right, folks, we've talked about Tara Reid in the show. Uh, she's the former Biden aide who claims that she was assaulted by Joe Biden in 1993. And her accusations have really thrown Democrats for a loss. And they don't know how to deal with it. Uh, and they don't know how to deal with it for many reasons, some that are similar to the ones I talked about in the case of Darren Bailey uh, and John Cabello. Those are the two Republican state reps who are invoking all kinds of principles when really what they're doing is looking for a tactical advantage. And I think the Democrats are guilty of the same thing. So uh, when it's uh, with the case of Brett Kavanaugh, the um, Supreme Court nominee that Donald Trump uh, th throw down our throats, what was it, two years ago, D? I've lost track of time. Uh, when the story emerged that uh, there was a uh, accusation of sexual assault against him by from Christine Ford, Democrats immediately uh, jumped up and said, we have to believe the woman. Uh, we always have to believe the woman. We have to assume that she's telling the truth. They invoked that as a principle to defend her. And uh, then when it came down uh, to the hearing where she, uh, Ford testified and Kavanaugh testified, Democrats stood with Ford. I was one of them and said that uh, they believed her and not Kavanaugh. Uh, and they urged Republicans to vote against Kavanaugh as a result. I don't think any Republicans did. did uh, I'm forgetting now. Frank would know. Did one Republican vote against Kavanaugh? Frank, I can't remember. Flake. Uh, Jeff Flake. Was Flake was Flake even in there then? I can't remember. I know Susan Collins. Remember, we had a, we were in the old. It was the old days, and we uh, went live with Susan Collins. Remember that her speech? God, what a day that was! I just remember Susanna Mendoza came into the studio that very day. Uh, um, it was in the middle of the gubernatorial race. Uh, anyway, um, 
So, uh, yeah, so Democrats invoked a principle. The principles believe the woman. And uh, so now Republicans are like, okay, Democrats, if you always believe the woman, why don't you believe Tara Reid? And the Democratic response is habita, 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 habita. And that's the problem, folks, when you declare a principle, when it's really a tactic. If you absolutely believe, believe the woman, then you should always uphold it regardless if the person she is accusing is Brett Kavanaugh or Joe Biden, if the person she's accusing is a Republican or a Democrat. But I don't think most people automatically think, believe the woman, D, because that presumes that always any accusation by a woman is uh, fair, is accurate, is truthful. And we know that's not the case historically. It's just say Emmett, Emmett Till is just one example that pops to mind. So we know he just like just saying blindly believe the woman is just under it's just not a prudent thing to say put it that way uh and you should always allow an accuser the uh, opportunity uh, to make her accusations that's correct you shouldn't intimidate her that is correct you should be sympathetic that is absolutely correct as well all these things are true but uh to have this a knee-jerk assertion that we always will believe whatever accusation is uttered when it's against a Republican or somebody you disagree with, and then you abandon that when it's a Democrat, well, then you look like you're hypocrites. You look like you're uttering a principle as though it's something part of your core belief when, in fact, it's a tactic. You look like, I hate to say it, uh, John Cabello and Darren Bailey, the two state reps from Illinois who are uttering this great principle. Suddenly John Cabello of Winnebago County believes in the division between the executive and the legislative branch, believes that the legislative branch has to have a say over executive authorities, uh, actions that executives make. And yet when it comes to Donald Trump, he's hiding under the table. So he's no different. He's no more inconsistent than the Democrats who were outraged uh, at Brett Kavanaugh because uh, there was accusations against him, but have nothing to say when the accusations are against Joe Biden. So that's kind of my initial reaction to that one, D, um, is that Democrats have set themselves up for this moment, and now they don't know what to do about it. They just, you know... they. They haven't figured out a strategy. First, there was what? They were going to ignore it? Is that what what's the strategy was? You know what I'm saying? Did, we, did anybody of our listeners... Uh, yeah, I think we're still doing that strategy. Uh, or, <laughs> no, it's slow. Look, we're it's still the, in the process of well, that strategy. No, look, it's on the front page of the New York Times. It made the front page. So, I mean, yeah, we're, we're still... We're emerging from that strategy. Yeah, first, <laughs> it's like, okay, we'll ignore it. Right, you know, maybe it'll go away. <laughs> well, no, no, no. And then, all right, here's what we'll do. We'll do an investigation in the New York Times. We'll take 16 days to do an investigation, and then we'll come to the conclusion, well, you know, they're sort of like Susan Collins of Maine. Oh, well, she says this, he says that, who knows? I don't know. And, you know, that that's, now we can bury it. We did our investigation, we bury it. And then subsequently, what, did she... Um, uh, her, they, they, on, I don't know how they found this tape from a Larry King show from 1993. Where supposed- Kickapoo, go! <laughs> 
<laughs> Come on. Hello. No, he does. Hello. Alton, Illinois, you're on the air. Hello. I love how he does it. Pontoon Beach, you're on. Winnebago County, you're on. John Cabello, you're on. Uh, so, yeah, they found this uh, uh, a tape of a woman calling in in 1993 who supposedly Tara Reed's mom. So it suggests that uh, Tara Reed talked. That's sort of the big issue. Did um, the woman making the accusation tell any about it, anybody about it in real time? And now there's evidence that she may have told people. So that kind of changes things. Remember the first the New York Times were saying, well, you know, it's really, it's not clear that she told anybody. Uh, now it's like, now what are you going to do, D, right? Uh-oh. Now we're getting evidence that she may have told somebody. Uh-oh. <laughs> getting a little nervous here. Now what do you say to people who say you may as well address it and try to, you know, get under it now before old Donnie T brings it up? Well, first of all, duh, you should address it anyway. Forget Donnie T. I'm going to get into Donnie T in a little while. Don't let me forget the, the Donnie T thing. I've already given you a hard time about this once today, didn't I? When you came in the house. Well, that's why I brought it up. All right. Don't let me forget the Donnie T thing. I'm more than All likely right. going to forget to bring that up. All right. We I'm got an interview down. coming up, and chances are that... Uh, uh, well, hey, Joe Biden has something to say about all this. Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone, make, make sure, sure the, the kids, kids hear words. words. It was a very serious accusation by a credible source. Um, and Joe Biden should have addressed it uh, head on earlier. I absolutely believe that. And um, he should have done it in a way that was sympathetic to Tara Reid. Uh, if he said if he's completely innocent, he says he didn't do it, then he should uh, say that, and uh, that's his story. And he should stick with it. But this thing where like eh, I pretend it doesn't exist, and uh, everybody else pretends it doesn't exist, and so you have Hillary Clinton, just as you pointed out, D. And I, I'm you know I'm not a big fan of Rush Limbaugh. Obviously, remember when Steve the ad salesman maybe listened to Rush? What? <laughs> You've never heard Rush Limbaugh? Oh, my God. This is a, I know this is a tangent with a tangent, but I was talking about highways, and I was actually, when I wrote this at 5.30 in the morning, thinking of Steve. God bless him, Steve, the ad salesman at the old place I used to work at before I got fired. I can't remember the name of it. Well, it's WCPT 820, where facts matter. They fired you. Oh, yeah, where facts matter, except for the ones that they don't like. Anyway, um, uh, except for facts about tips. Uh, so uh, Stevie used to take us. He was the driver when we do our remotes. And uh, we, oh, he loved highways, right? Well, you take this one, and then you take that one. Uh, and then he goes, Ben, you should really listen to this guy. He's good. He puts on Rush Limbaugh. Uh, Steve, uh, we are a uh, liberal. <laughs> he makes a lot of good points. Uh, anyway. Didn't help Steve out, by the way, <laughs> if he still works there. Oh, no, I'm sure he does. Come on, they love him there. Um, but that, where was I with this one? I can't remember where I was. I went on that tangent, D. Uh, oh, I'm pretty sure that uh, Rush Limbaugh and other uh, right-wingers are having a field day, uh, you know, pointing out that Hillary Clinton uh, did that uh, endorsement session of Joe Biden where he talked about how Joe Biden was going to be good uh, on, on issues relating to women, and they didn't mention Tara Reid. And see, here's the reality. These Republicans are freaking hypocrites. They're absolutely freaking hypocrites. And Democrats should be, feel free to say this. Republicans don't care about sexual assault accusations uh, that women make. They don't care about it. They've elected as president of the United States a man who has, I don't know, I forget, 16 
20. So if it's like, it comes down to which one is the bigger deviant, I think that Joe Biden will be victorious. He's less of the bigger deviant. So he will win on that scale because he's less of a brute than Donald Trump. But Republicans don't care about that. They nominated Donald Trump. They elected Donald Trump. Roy Moore was their candidate uh, in uh, Alabama. Remember that race? Brett Kavanaugh is on the Supreme Court. They don't care about this issue, Dems. They just want to use it to embarrass you. They just want to use it to call you a hypocrite. They claim they're not hypocrites because they don't care about it. And in kind of a weird way, they're kind of true. If you don't care that about sexual assault, if you think you just disregard uh, the claims a woman makes, then you're really not a hypocrite, I suppose, if you support someone who's an alleged rapist. If you claim, on the other hand, that you do care and you support someone who's an alleged rapist, not that Joe Biden is an alleged rapist, I'm saying, if there was a Democrat out there who supported Donald Trump, then you're a hypocrite. Now, I would say that if you call yourself, what, a good uh, religious Christian you know, follower of the Ten Commandments, and you still support an alleged rapist, then you're a hypocrite. Or if you support Roy Moore, who's prowling the malls uh, looking for teenage girls, you're a hypocrite. But, you know, the Dems are in a trick bag. So, yes, D, they should have, Joe Biden should have addressed this issue a long time ago. And um, he should have done it in a way in which he, you know, just gave his respect for Tara Reid and just said, I didn't do it. You know, or whatever he's going to say. I don't know what he's going to say. But he should absolutely address it. He should address it soon because it is not going anywhere. All right, guys. So don't be expecting a uh, Joe Biden for president party from Ben Jarofsky anytime soon. All right. He'll vote for him, but he's not too enthused about it yet. Uh, and I'm going to say one other thing. And this is probably going to get me in trouble with a lot of my damn friends. Let it rip, buddy. We're in the <laughs> attic, man. We're safe in the attic, Ben. I think I'm going to write about this for the reader this week. Uh, many Dems have told me privately they're going to vote. They don't care about. Here's the deal: the situation we're facing with Donald Trump as president is so horrific. He's the world. He's the worst president of my lifetime, and the competition is stiff, folks. George W. Bush was a terrible president. Two wars he got us into. Now, unnecessary, I might add. And he didn't get the popular vote either. So he was, he had less less of a mandate. Nah, I guess he could argue. No, he had less of a mandate than Trump because it could took a Supreme Court decision to get him in the office. So, you know, he was sanctioned by the Republican judges. So I could say he had even less of a mandate than Trump. Uh, so he was a, uh, a terrible president, but Trump is worse, uh, in my humble opinion. So uh, it is, you know... Flaws and all, if Joe Biden's the candidate, that's how you have to go with. Uh, he wasn't the guy I wanted, but he's the one on the ticket. He's there. He is the person who's got to defend us, protect our country from Donald Trump. So I feel I have no choice but to vote for him. I'm not happy about it. And I wish he would uh, have a, you know, what, get in front of the camera. What, does he uh, do Zoom, D? Is that what he does? Oh, he's, yeah. He's they a, all do they Zoom. Love Zoom. By the way, there was an article in the New York Times the other day about Zoom uh, is, uh, gets, makes people depressed. I saw that article. I was going to send it to what? Dr. Airman. Yeah. Zoom that, makes people depressed. Yeah. There was a some huh. psychiatrist wrote this article hmm. that, uh, that they'd done studies or uh, that people spending too much time on Zoom 
this the lack of human interaction. You're better off talking on a telephone. I was going to send that to Doctor Airman. He loves Zoom. Then we could do Zoom. You ever have you heard of Zoom? Zoom. Zoom, Zoom. depression. I knew. <laughs> no, the the uh, uh, yeah the Dems have to deal with this one. I mean they can't just uh, continue to wait. Hold on. Uh, here we go. Lisa Murkowski voted against. Uh, a, uh, voted against Kavanaugh. Thank you very much, Frank. And he's absolutely, God damn it. Uh, and he reminded me, Joe Manchin of West Virginia voted for, remember that was the deal they cut? <laughs> Frank, you brought back that memory. They cut that deal or Joe got to cover himself with the West Virginia. I, by the way, Joe Manchin, you weren't going to lose, you're never going to lose in West Virginia. You could have voted against Kavanaugh. Oh, that's bringing back those old memories. Kavanaugh should never have been approved because he's a, a Republican hack. He's a political operative of the Republican Party. So if we have any, what, just the no, if we're going to play, pretend as though these judges are objective uh, decision makers, we shouldn't have political operatives up there. So he should not have been, and Susan Collins should have said, no, I'm sorry. This is not, this man does not deserve to be uh, on the bench without making Christine Ford uh, come in and testify. So yes, Joe Biden has to deal with this at Democrats. Um, here's the point you were making. Did, you were the one who said about Donnie T. Isn't that what you said? The, the, and this is my other thing. I, I got to get this off my chest. I am so sick and tired of hearing Democrats. They said this in the debates too. So it's, it's, I'm not just picking on Dr. D over here. Uh, Donald Trump is going to... They better deal with this now because Donald Trump... I sound nothing like that. <laughs> no, but I just got finished saying you're not the only one. I remember so many Democratic candidates. It's Tom Steyer used to say, folks, Donald Trump's going to raise his point in November. He's going to say it in October. Democrats like are so afraid of Donald Trump. Democrats, half the country hates Donald Trump. Democrats act as though they're still so psychologically wounded from November of 2016, D. They just cower in fear, Donald Trump. Donald Trump tweets something out. Democrats are like, oh, my God. Oh, I'm so scared. You know, he's going to say that Joe Biden is a hypocrite, that Joe Biden's son is corrupt, that Joe Biden has a sexual assault charge. I got news for you. Donald Trump's got 16, I think... I, I, I'm losing count, D, how many sexual assault charges are against Donald Trump. Joe Biden's going to come out with commercials that are going to call attention to Donald Trump's sexual assault charges. It's going to be a big mess. It's going to be just one commercial after another, one negative commercial after another. That's what it's going to be. I don't know why you're cowering in fear, Democrats. What, you've never seen a rough and tumble election before? You think Donald Trump is the first Republican who played dirty? Oh, Donald Trump, I'm so scared. What's Donald Trump going to say about this? He's going to say whatever he wants to say. He lies at the drop of a hat. So I don't know why you're so afraid of Donald Trump. This is something about Dems I don't. This is why I love Monroe. One of the many reasons I love Monroe Anderson. He's a trash talker from Gary, Indiana, and he does. he's not afraid of Donald Trump or Donald Trump supporters. He, lo he relishes engaging Donald Trump supporters in uh, uh, kind of, kind of debate. So I, I don't understand why Democrats are so afraid of the living fear of Donald Trump and his tweets. And uh, yeah, uh, Joe Biden, yeah, Donald Trump will raise this uh, in the election. And guess what? Joe Biden will raise all the sexual assault charges against um, Donald Trump. That's part of the problem in 2016. Remember Hillary Clinton? I'm looking forward to these debates. Well, 
They got you're a sicko. No, you're a sicko. It's not. I mean, welcome to politics in America. D. Remember 2016 at the debate uh, after the uh, uh, pussy grabbing tape came out. Can we watch the language, please? Okay. The president of the your president said it, not me. Um, and uh, so remember that one, and then immediately Donald Trump brought on uh, all the women who made the accusations about Bill Clinton. And the Democrats were, what do we do? Uh, yeah, you you look the other way throughout the '90s, Dems with Clinton, right? And now you're like, oh, you do look like hypocrites. Yeah, you look the other way with Bill Clinton, and now you're looking that you want to do the same thing. Uh, with Joe Biden. No, I'm sorry. You shouldn't do that. You should deal with these accusations and uh, Joe Biden should address them one way or the other. Now, you know, you remember my, I offered, I had a perfect solution to all this. Remember? No. I'll repeat it. I will negotiate a deal. I'll, I'll negotiate a deal with State Representative John Cabello. By the way, I didn't mention that John Cabello from uh, Winnebago County uh, is was the head of Donald Trump's uh, election campaign. I think he was the co-chair uh, in 2016, so he's a representative. Uh, he's a Trumpster. He's a MAGA hat wearer. I'll cut a deal with you, Cabello. Uh, I'll get Joe Biden to step down if you agree to get Brett Kavanaugh to step down and Donald Trump to step down. How about that, D? Huh? Mike Pence will be running against who? Who would the Democratic nominee be? Hmm. Cory Booker. Leo would be happy with that, uh, and uh, the winner will get to name the next Supreme Court justice. But of course, that's not going to happen. So Democrats are going to look, Dems, you nominated the guy. Okay, I didn't vote for him. Don't blame me. I did not vote for him, but I will vote for him over Donald Trump. And for no other reason, uh, I think that uh, he will do a better job of dealing with this economic meltdown that we're facing. And I can tell you feel better. You got a lot off your chest there. Yes, I feel feel much better. I'm going to write a column about this. feel much better Good. about this. Good. I'm glad you got that off your mind. All right, let's do a little local news before we uh, go to break here. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. How did you go from <laughs> sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. Today, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot is or was, it's hard to tell because it's 2 in the afternoon, but uh, at Area 4 Police Headquarters. Oh, she was there at 1 p.m. Okay, so she uh, was probably wrapping things up right now to announce two new operation areas. Uh, and other Lori Lightfoot news, Ben, we've been wondering this for about a month now. Hmm. Does Mayor Lori Lightfoot like The Last Dance, the Chicago Bulls documentary? Well, we have an update. She does. We have audio here. I found it on Twitter. Lori Lightfoot enjoys the last dance. Boy, this isn't news in three, two, one. <laughs> like most of Chicago, uh, the first two episodes of the last dance on ESPN and that people were texting you during those those first two episodes. Were you able to watch the, the, the latest uh, two episodes, three and four? I, I, I did. And uh, I think people figured out that uh, between uh, eight and 10 o'clock on Sunday night, don't bother. Because I'm fixed on uh, watching the show. There you go. Wait, who is asking her the question? I don't know. I knew you were going to ask that. Yeah. Uh, well, we already talked about this, D. Lori uh, Lightfoot. Got a feeling she was really a Cleveland Cavaliers fan and that she was really disappointed when Michael Jeffrey Jordan's shot went in in 1989, defeating the Cleveland Cavaliers in game five, the three best of uh, three out of five series. Uh, by the way, I just have to say one last thing. You raised it. Okay, I know you have this ban on me talking about sports, uh, 
You, but you raised the topic, D, so I get to talk about it. Uh, by the way, I urge everybody to uh, listen to the Steve James interview that we did yesterday. Filmmaker Steve James, the, he made Hoop Dreams. Uh, we had a, a great, uh, very enjoyable chat about The Last Dance, about the Bulls, Isaiah Thomas, Michael Jordan, all kinds of things with Steve James. And uh, But um, Charles Barkley, man, he, if there's any bull, uh, sports fans out there who are not just political junkies, but also sports fans, I urge you to go check out Charles Barkley's comments about uh, Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinsdorf and the breakup of the Chicago Bulls. He hit it. He uh, really got it uh, right, I think, And uh, when he said that uh, basically Jerry Reinsdorf broke up the Bulls in 1998 because he didn't think it was a wise investment. He was going to have to pay, uh, uh, re-up all these contracts at the same time and pay... Uh, Basketball players were getting old, uh, a lot of money. So you're going to be uh, paying for them as their careers were on the downward slide. And he decided that it, uh, he probably decided it was not a good investment. So he's just going to break up the team. That was Barkley's theory. I agree with Charles Barkley. <laughs> there you go, guys. He agrees with Charles Barkley. Uh, yeah. And finally here, uh, we got one more uh, person or organization in this matter suing J.B. Pritzker. All right. Uh, the following comes from... MyStateLine.com. Wait, never, is this breaking news? This is breaking news. This shout just out, happened? Shout out to Frank. He sent this to us. Uh, MyStateLine.com is where this comes from. It says here, a church in Lena, Illinois, L-E-N-A, uh, which was issued a cease and desist order after continuing to meet in defiance of Illinois' stay-at-home order, has filed a federal lawsuit against Governor J.B. Pritzker and officials in Stevenson County. Darren Bailey, look what you started! A federal lawsuit. The Stevenson County Sheriff has threatened Pastor Steve Cassell of the beloved church at 216 West Mason Street with closure and prosecution for continuing to meet for church services. Cassell is suing the governor, Stevenson County Sheriff Dave Snyders, Village of Lena Chief Police, uh, Chief of Police Steve Shabiel, probably butchered that last name, and Stevenson County Health Department Administrator Craig Bintama, saying church services are permitted through no-contact drive-in services in other states. The lawsuit alleges that Pritzker's statements and actions during the coronavirus epidemic demonstrate an illegal and discriminatory hostility to religious practice, churches, and people of faith. The complaint says the church plans to hold public worship services on Sunday, May 3rd. The lawsuit says, quote, Pastor Cassell's spiritual visits and counseling are vitally necessary to the health and well-being of the community. For a father out of work, a young person at risk for suicide, or a mom dealing with substance abuse, uh, a Zoom meeting just doesn't cut it. Uh, Pritzker's extension to the stay-at-home order until May 31st has also been challenged by... Rep okay, that's the story there. Yeah, all right. And uh, we talked about this with Jim Coogan last week. Probably have to bring him back. Uh, William Barr, the attorney general. This this is probably one of those lawsuits that uh, the Justice Department is sort of aiding and abetting on because it sounds like some of the, the cases down south in the uh, southern states. Uh, it's a federal suit, not a state suit. So there's a greater chance that the Republicans could prevail because, let's face it, uh, the state courts... The, the the ones that uh, Cabello filed and Bailey filed are state lawsuits that are going to end up in the state Supreme Court. And I can't imagine the state Supreme Court would rule against Pritzker and those issues. Uh, but there's a greater chance that they might prevail on a federal level. Uh, William Barr is cheering them on. He says there's a religious liberty issue. Once again, they're invoking a grand principle 
All right? Religious liberty is the principle. Remember that. People invoke a great principle when in actuality they got a dirty deed they want to accomplish. Uh, the dirty deed in this case is to undermine uh, J.B. Pritzker and uh, to fire up the Republican base and to reelect uh, Donald Trump. So uh, they, they evoke a great principle when in fact uh, they're up to no good. And uh, yeah, so uh, we should bring Jim Coogan on in a little while, maybe a couple weeks uh, to talk about some of these lawsuits. It's not just in Illinois that these religious liberty suits have been filed. All right, so more details will become available. We'll talk about them when they do become available, maybe on tomorrow's program. Uh, quick shout-out to the live stream chat here. Our good friend Brent, haven't heard from me in a while, Brent. Hope you're doing okay. He said on the live stream chat, uh, there needs to be an investigation into who is paying for the legal bills of these Cabello types. I, I'm, I'm with you 100% on that one. And... Um... Because I, 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 we can't get again, again. I have to get Coogan on because my understanding is that if the attorney prevails, uh, he can get the uh, the state to pay for his legal fees in a matter like this. But I don't know if that is the absolute case. But yes, generally speaking, almost all of the we could be talking about Ed Maher about this uh, in a little while. Almost like these are very similar to the anti-union lawsuits that have been filed uh, down through the years. Uh, there's a community of Republican uh, strategists and Republican lawyers who are using the court system to undercut the Democrats and pretty much guarantee Republicans are victorious. And so, yes, I would not be surprised if some of the same players uh, are behind these lawsuits as well. Our good friend Jim on the live stream chat has an idea who may be paying for these fellers. Yay for our teachers! <laughs> Yay for our teachers! There you go! Yes, Former indeed. Illinois Governor Bruce yes. Rauner. Yes, Jim, yes, you're right. Uh, who's, who's that idea? Who's that, that? Jim. Jim, yeah. Jim, you're absolutely correct. Would not be surprised if Bruce Rauner uh is uh, behind some of these lawsuits hey, now now bruce rauner doesn't believe in uh the authority of the executive boy when he was the governor yeah where was cabello to challenge rauner remember rauner we're not gonna have a budget until unions just agree to give up all their uh collective bargaining rights uh, uh. yeah where was cabello then where was darren bailey then uh. hey guys come out from under the table uh, uh. <laughs> All right, guys, so there you are. Uh, hey, check out the live stream. If you're listening right now on download, uh, join us live sometime and weigh in on the Ben Jarofsky Show live stream chat. Uh, leave us a comment, and who knows? We may read your comment. Join Brianna, Jeff, Jim, Roe, Brent, and so much more. Steven, do you still listen to this show? Where are you at? I'm worried about Steven, our good friend Steven on the live stream chat. Please weigh in and uh, give us an update on how you are. Uh, join us live. You can follow us on social media at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. Uh, that's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. You can send us an email. Benny J Show at gmail.com. Once again, B E N N Y, the letter J Show at gmail.com. And, and you can leave us a voicemail. That's right. The Ben Jarofsky Show has a phone number, and that phone number is 708 658 4788. Once again, 708 658 4788. Eight, eight. Leave us a voicemail, and we will play your voicemail on the program. Speaking of, Ben, we got another voicemail. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see here. Uh, it's from uh, Triple J, we call him on the live stream chat. Johnny Joe. Johnny Joe Johnson weighed in. Uh, now, he's called us as... <laughs> 
Dr. Phil, mm-hmm. and Mr. Burns. I think he has another one for I, us. By the way, I, I got the Mr. Burns one. Remember? Yeah, yeah you was, did. That did was good. good job. Yeah. That was good. That was a really good Mr. Burns. Uh, I think he has another impression for us here. Uh, let's take a listen, uh, hear what he has to say, and see if uh, we can guess who he's doing an impression of. Well, the last time I asked you that question, you said no, and you said it in a loud and clear voice. Oh. Well, what's your story? Jimmy Stewart. Are you the big chief or one of the little Indians? What's or or is that John Wayne? <laughs> it's one of the you other. You know anything I want to know, do you? Young fella, if you're looking for trouble, I'll accommodate you. Oh, it's John Otherwise, Wayne. Otherwise, leave it. <laughs> yeah, that was John Wayne. Yeah, that was John Wayne. When he first started, oh, it was Jimmy Stewart, but no, yeah. Uh, God, I used to have a John Wayne imitation. I haven't seen a John Wayne movie in so long. Let's hear it. Let's hear your uh, uh, rusty John Wayne impression. All right, Dr. D. No, that's I'm, I'm going into Howard Cosell. <laughs> that's Howard His Cosell. name is Dr. D. He comes from Walton, Illinois. And ladies and gentlemen, he plays a mean air guitar. Dr. D. That's pretty good. That ain't bad. That ain't bad. Uh, in fact, uh, the Bruce Rauner impression that uh, I did a lot during the uh, the election. <laughs> Before that, when I would talk, when I would do the Bruce, I would channel John Wayne because I feel like Bruce Rauner was always Let trying to talk John to Wayne. Hey there, Pilgrim. Mm. Hey there, Pilgrim. <laughs> yeah, I stick to Rauner. <laughs> well, I can't win them all. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to take a break, and when we come back... Wait, let's open up the window real quick. Uh, we have a train coming by. Chug it, chug it, choo-choo. You'll never hear this on WCPT, crappy <laughs> station. Yeah, there we go. Oh, there's the other one. Where, where the brown line matters. How about that, huh? Oh, we got one more. Ben, who's on that train right now? Rob, there he is. <laughs> He's driving the train. His bike's on there. Okay. <laughs> We'll be right back. When we come back, Union Man Ed Maher. Don't go anywhere. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from Ben's attic. This would be a terrible crisis to waste, as the old saying goes. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Right now we are calling union man Ed Maher. Live. Oh, boy. It's always on. dangerous. <laughs> oh, there we go. I think we got him. Let's turn the camera. Oh, wait, hold on a second here. Ed Maher. Yeah, what's happening? Guys? All right. Awesome. We got it. Yep, we got Yeah, We got the video option there if you want it. Ben's right there. There you go. I see myself. Oh, there's Ed. Uh, Ed, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Well, you know, I'm uh, safe and secure in my attic, Ed, overlooking the alley and the brown line, uh, staying out of trouble. Uh, but I got to say, I've, I've been, um, I really miss the studio, and I can't wait to this pandemic stay at home is over. What about yourself? You know what? I'm, uh, I'm still working uh, primarily out of, out of our office. Uh, we've got a lot of a lot of things in place at our office, but our members are still working. And so we're still working to support them. Um, and the majority of the time, like I said, is in the office. So 
it's been um it's strange you know driving to work the traffic's been fantastic but um you know it's uh it is it's kind of weird but the, just being out and about and uh you know getting up getting dressed and heading to an office every day is uh has taken a little bit of the edge off i think for me um you know while so many of so many of friends and families and uh you know especially kids i think are are suffering probably more than anyone with all this um you know adults we talk to each other about being bored or being stir crazy or not being able to go to restaurants but um you know i've got a 9 year old daughter and I know a lot of people out there have got kids and uh, not being able to see their friends. I mean, it's something that I think we've, we've all got to think about, um, you know, what we can do to support these kids a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, and before I get into the union issues or the labor issues of the day, uh, there's something that just came up right before you, uh, we called you. And we were talking about some of the lawsuits that have been filed in the state of Illinois. Uh, and one of our listeners uh, was wondering who f- uh, funds them. And that brought back a memory of the Janus case. You and I talked so much about the Janus case, like 2018, I want to say. I've lost track of time, Ed. Uh, but this is the question oh, I had. Oh, absolutely. Who, who, who was financing uh, these laws? I was, I was opining that uh, it was a Republican strategist, uh, legal strategist who... Uh, want to use uh, the courts to uh, undercut unions and undercut the Democratic Party uh, that were financing. Do you remember the indi- the, ex- the exact individuals or groups that financed the Janus case? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it's, it's interesting the amount of the, the length of the trail that you've got to follow. But, um, of course, we, we watched that very closely. The, the legal team in the Janus trial, the team that actually – uh, did the prosecution or did the the representation was the Liberty Justice Center. Um, now they hired uh, outside counsel, you know, with Supreme Court cases, there are a, a small handful of law firms um, in D.C. and a couple on either coast that you go to if you've got a case going to the Supreme Court. So it was a very specialized, high stakes kind of, kind of proceeding. So the Liberty Justice Center is the one that oversaw uh, the legal representation for Janice. Now, what is that? That is, and that is the legal branch of the Illinois Policy Institute. Um, the Illinois Policy Institute is, of course, uh, you know, very sarcastically a nonpartisan think tank uh, that pushes a lot of conservative anti-union policies. Now, where does that get its funding? It gets it from the State Policy Network, which is an umbrella organization that runs these little conservative think tanks state by state to try to push. Um, you know, regulation cuts and uh, things like right-to-work laws or cuts to collective bargaining, things like that. And where these organizations get their funding, uh, because of their nonprofit status, it can be a little bit murky. But if you go through their tax filings and tax filings of organizations that you think might be supporting them, I think with the Illinois Policy Institute about three or four years ago, we determined that um, we figured out where it was getting about 60% of its revenue and the majority of it was coming from large groups like um, like Donors Trust, which is a nonprofit that billionaires will sink their money into for tax write-offs. Um, the Cato Institute, the Heritage Foundation. So, yeah, absolutely, it's billionaires putting money into, you know, trying to get rid of regulation, and those billions of dollars get trickled into a network of. Um, you know, the state policy network, they direct it to these state organizations like the Illinois Policy Institute. They funnel it further to the Liberty Justice Center and they pay lawyers to um, get 
public sector right to work. So um, the, the trail is very long, but it, it's a similar kind of deal with uh, things like right to work laws are often defended by the National Right to Work Legal Defense Fund. Um, and the, I mean, the trail is very similar. There's a small group of donors for these kinds of things. They set up a lot of shell, um, you know, 501c3 charitable organizations and call them really fun, cute things like Americans for Prosperity or Illinois Policy Institute. But um, it's just it's it's just an army of different little vehicles for um, for billionaires to spend their money, kind of making the middle class a little bit weaker. Yeah, and we'll get into in a little while uh, the impact it has uh, on electoral politics. Uh, well, in Wisconsin and Michigan, I'm thinking of, and uh, when we talk about the constant proposed constitutional amendment. Uh, before I leave this uh, completely, uh, one other uh, question left over from the last part of the show. Uh, did anybody ever link Bruce Rauner himself uh, to funding these groups? I just can't remember this. Uh, Ed, did, was he known for getting you know, money to these groups? Um, he had written a check to the Illinois Policy Institute. I can't remember off the top of my head what the sum was. I want to say it was a half million dollars, um, and it was a few years before he ran for governor. Um, it had been brought up a number of times, and, and again, I might I might be wrong on the total. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I believe it was a half million dollars. Um, and he looked back and, and he just kind of dismissed it and said that he was supportive of something that they were um, that they were with at that time, but. Uh, um, but, uh, just, you know, it wasn't consequential, uh, enough for him to get into the details of it. Mm. But yeah, I mean, in, in the Janice decision, of course, it wasn't originally Janice v. AFSCME, it was Rauner v. AFSCME. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it went to court. He was found to not be a suitable, um, plaintiff. And, uh, so he got bounced from the lawsuit. The only other plaintiff they could scramble and come up with was this guy, Mark Janice, who of course, right after <laughs> this lawsuit got a job as a senior advisor to the Illinois Policy Institute. Mm-hmm. So that's where he works now. They just, you know, they basically dangled uh, dangled a, a little consulting job in front of him to get him to, to go out and sue his union. So it's disgusting. It makes me sick. Let me tell you, Ben. And, and when it was Rauner versus, uh, who was the, uh, Rauner, AFSCME. Rauner versus AFSCME, was Rauner a private citizen Rauner or was he Governor Rauner, meaning that the state was picking up his legal expenses? Uh, you know, something I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I, I would assume that it would probably not be the state picking up his expenses. I think that from the start, this thing was being pushed by the, uh, by the Liberty Justice Center. So I don't think that, uh, I don't think the state was picking up the legal, the legal bills, but I'm, again, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. It's funny how things, the, the details, uh, have just faded from my mind. I used to know this stuff inside and out. All right, Ed, let's, uh, let's move on to something that's more up to date. Uh, although uh, against the struggle against uh, collective bargaining rights is always ongoing. Saw the story in the New York Times, fired in a pandemic because we tried to start a union. Uh, and it talks about uh, cases throughout the country uh, where employers are using the pandemic as an excuse uh, to punish uh, organizers, to punish employee whose employees are looking to uh, uh, organize a union. Uh, talk a little bit more about this. Yeah, so uh, the story that you're referring to, I think, was about Court, the furniture company, like usually a big office furniture company, um, and their delivery drivers had been trying for, I think, about six or seven months to organize with the Teamsters, and they were coming right up on a union election, 
when they were all laid off, the company laid off all of its delivery drivers, which there are a lot of people getting laid off around the country right now. But what makes this so sort of devious is that right after they were laid off, the company hired, um, you know, a workforce of independent contractor truck drivers. So it wasn't as though the services weren't needed. They were just replacing the workers that were seeking union representation with independent contractors who couldn't seek union representation. So this is something that, uh, you know, I think Trader Joe's has been mentioned in, um, in similar things for firing people who were complaining about, um, you know, the safety on the job. Even in Chicago, uh, we saw some nurses and doctors that were disciplined. And I think there was a nurse at Northwestern who was fired for, uh, for talking about how they were working these long shifts and they weren't even being provided masks. So I think that right now there, there are a lot of people who are, who are in need of a little bit more protection on the job and whether they're looking for that through forming a union or through just coming out and telling people that they're providing healthcare services, but they're not being cared for. Uh, workers are more and more being disciplined. And it seems like, I mean, this is a kind of a common trend that with a bad economy and when unemployment goes up, um, you know, worker or employers do more of this because the rest of the workforce is not exactly sympathetic to it. You know, the, a lot of, when, when more and more people are out of work and you hear about people getting fired for crying out about safety, you know, there's far too often the response from some of the, the rest of the workforce is, well, they should be glad they have a job. Yeah. And yes, I mean, there's something to be said for, for the value of employment right now, but at the same time, you shouldn't dismiss adequate and, and completely legitimate um, safety concerns. Wait, uh, so what, what can a worker do in a situation like if they're fired and it seems as though they're being punished for uh, trying to organize a union? I mean, the union, uh, in this case, it was, it was a local of the Teamsters Union. I'm not sure which local. Um, but if there is evidence that this was done, if there was any kind of um, paper trail or comments made um, that would indicate that it was done as a result, as a direct result that you could prove, um, you could file a complaint with the National Labor Relations Board for uh, an unfair labor practice. It's illegal for, you know, the, the, the workers have a right to join together and seek a union to represent them and bargain on their behalf for wages, benefits, and working conditions, and um, an employer has no right to interfere with them. This is a, a constitutionally, federally protected right. And um, and so if they're um, retaliated against, like being fired for doing that, that is an unfair labor practice. And it can, it can get dragged out. The proceedings can be a little bit lengthy, but if it's found that they were wrongfully terminated, then they could be brought back and paid back pay and things like that. I mean, at the, the bottom line is it's against federal law to fire people for trying to form a union. Employers don't always like it and they'll spend a lot of money running expensive campaigns with, you know, union busting consultants and things like that. And usually these consultants get paid so much because sometimes they're able to put on a a really strong anti-union campaign without actually saying or doing anything illegal. About half the time they say and do illegal things, but, um, and are, you know, caught for it and lose unfair labor practice um, charges over it. But, you know, that's, that's kind of a, it, it can be a difficult thing to prove. And uh, so I'm, I'm not sure how much of a paper trail the Teamsters have got to work with here, but, uh, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll follow up on it because it's, um, you know, it's awful when you see workers. It's, it, I mean, think about this, Ben. It takes, and we've talked about this before, 
it takes a lot for workers to to say it's not as though you um you have, you get told you have to work on the weekend you're going to say all right forget it i want a union it takes a lot for workers to to stand up and do this because they know that there's a risk that they can that they can be fired so typically workers make this move when things have gotten so bad that they just have to do something so when things get that bad and they're fired for trying to do something i mean if we all if we all put ourselves in the worst position that we've ever been in at any job that we've ever had and imagine that we tried to do something about it and we're just fired, you know, how just, what would that feel like? I think we can all think back to a spot and uh, agree that it's just, it's, it's not, it's not just, and it's just flatly illegal. Uh, and that's why it's so important who gets, a, who is doing the appointment. I would just want to make this point to the national labor relations board. I couldn't agree with you more on that. And it's, uh, the, the National Labor Relations Board is about as union unfriendly as it's been in my lifetime. Right now. Right. And it's right. Okay. It wasn't so bad uh, under the previous administration. Right now is what you're saying in the yeah. So I'll and I'll and I'll say this: the the leadership in in Washington um, is is very, that's been directly appointed, uh, like the general counsel Peter Robb. Uh, he has been coming after unions and the use of inflatable rats and things like that. A lot of the, excuse me, administrative law judges that basically have a small piece of ge- geographic territory across the country, a lot of those administrative law judges have remained for, for many, many years. So we've actually seen some things getting pushed down from the top um, that have been decided against by these administrative law judges. At Local 150, we actually had a case probably two or three weeks ago about uh, the use of inflatable rats where the general counsel is trying to ban the use of the inflatable rats that you see on uh, picket lines across the city. And, you know, you, you'll see them sometimes when you're out and about big inflatable rat, I encourage you to uh, honk your horn and give the people a thumbs up. Um, <laughs> yeah. <the> thumb. yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, he was trying to ban those, ban those. And I mean, this legal case went on for over a year and, um, and then an administrative law judge ruled against the general counsel, and then it went to federal court, and the federal court ruled against him. Um, so there are there are good people who go by the book still within the NLRB, but the leadership, uh, the you know the the president appoints a general counsel and appoints the board members uh, that govern it. The National Labor Relations Board members there are five of them, three from the same party as the president, two from the other party. Uh, but he gets to appoint all of them, and uh, so the leadership's been very, very, very unfriendly. What was the? Are, you and I did talk about this. What was the argument that they uh, used uh, against the inflatable rat? By the way, I have a, let me just before you answer it say, uh, uh, Bob Ryder, if you're listening, I pre, when we at the Reader were organizing our union, Ryder showed up at one of our uh, rallies. God bless him with the inflatable rat. Okay, and nobody arrested us. Nice. Uh, yeah. Now. No. What was the argument that they raised against the inflatable rat? I can't remember. What was the argument they raised against it? They just said that an inflatable rat is the very nature of the inflatable rat is coercive and is telling people um, that they can't shop at a certain store or can't use a certain contractor or something like that. I mean, there. If you were to, uh, if you were just having like a, a demonstration, let's say. Uh, out in front of a business, you weren't involved. You weren't on strike against them. Uh, you were just having a demonstration, and uh, you put out uh, an inflatable rat that had, 
you know, uh, a sign on it that said, don't shop here, something like that. That could be, um, you know, interpreted rightly as, you know, a boycott um, or a secondary boycott if you were, for example, on strike against, if I was on strike against Ben's equipment company and Ben's equipment company was working at Costco, I could stand out front and say, don't use Ben's equipment company because I have a strike against them, but I can't say don't go to Costco um, or we have a strike against Costco or something like that. Um, so there's, you, you know, there's a, there's an art to the messaging on this kind of stuff, but the NLRB was basically just saying the very presence of a rat is coercive and uh, illegal to which, you know, we've responded that there since 2001, there have been, I don't know, probably a dozen federal cases and even more NLRB cases that say that this thing is a balloon, it is a tool of free speech. Now that free speech can cross lines if it's not done properly, but just it's 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 a balloon. It's not saying anything. I mean the the giant gorilla at the car lot's not saying anything and it's not coercive and it's not scary. This is a giant balloon. It's full of air and uh, it has been granted First Amendment protection by numerous federal courts. Um, and I mean, what, what our general counsel always says is, uh, the first amendment protects, uh, religious fanatics who want to demonstrate at, um, soldiers funerals against homosexuals in the military. And that's first amendment protected, but the NLRB thinks that we can't blow up a balloon, uh, in the shape of a rat, that that shouldn't be protected. You know, the, um, the first amendment has generally been expanded upon, uh, in, in the federal courts. And this is one of the rare occasions when they were trying to limit it. You know, when, uh, for example, the, um, citizens United said that businesses had free speech rights and that they had the, all the same rights as an individual. Uh, and then sometimes it just gets contradicted with these same interests that are trying to expand free speech for one group of people are trying to restrict free speech for another group of people. Yeah. And that was, that was the aim with, uh, with Scabby the rat who I would be, not doing my job if I didn't mention that Scabby the Rat, that's his name, the big inflatable rat, was um, created in 1988 by some organizers at, you guessed it, the Operating Engineers Local <laughs> 150. Well, God so bless them. We take this seriously, <laughs> and that is why, that's why any time that Scabby is under attack, you'll find a team of Local 150 lawyers in court fighting. <laughs> it's important to workers, yeah. but we take it very personally. Uh, well, Scabby the Rat was looking out for the reader back in uh, 2016, I think it was. And uh, uh, I did, uh, before we, I close on this one, I just want to say we, this has been a theme today. Uh, the problem when people invoke a principle and then desert that principle when it doesn't suit the, their interests, this has sort of been a theme in a lot of different issues today. Uh, either you believe in the principle, which in this case would be uh, free speech, your rights uh, in America to uh, protest, uh, or you don't believe in the principle, but you, you, you shouldn't be able to invoke it whenever it meets your tactical purposes and then drop it when it doesn't meet your purposes. Uh, and uh, that's sort of been a theme of today's show. Uh, Ed, by the way, before I move on, I got to tell you, this is like, um, I remember so much things have changed uh, since the pandemic has hit hard. I, it, I can't remember when, maybe December or so, we were having a conversation on the air. And we were talking about a robust economy and how in a robust economy, uh, it, it, just as you were saying, it, it, people are more open to unions. Uh, workers have more rights. Uh, it's, it's, it's not as much of a struggle to get raises, et cetera, and so forth. So forth. And now, my God, things have changed so quickly in the last month 
with uh, people losing their jobs, unemployment rate going up, people filing for unemployment claims. Uh, we're now in the exact kind of economy where uh, the obstacles are, there's a lot more obstacles in front of uh, workers. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's some states, um, I want to say Tennessee and uh, Kentucky's got a uh, conservative legislature. They're in, in their efforts to provide relief to their to the citizens, it's all got poison pills laid in where they can uh, unilaterally terminate, you know, public employees union contracts or, um, you know, uh, exempt certain employees from having representation. So this is the kind of situation where you're going to see a lot of really sneaky little ways um, that, uh, that legislators will kind of sneak in to, to take things away from workers because businesses right now are looking for ways to lay people off that they otherwise couldn't lay off or save a lot of money by firing people who they think make too much money. Um, and with more and more people, I mean, the, the job numbers are, I don't know, I mean, they're heartbreaking um, to, to think of all the people that are, that are applying for unemployment every week. Um, and it's just with all these people out of work, um, the sort of the, the amount of sympathy for people losing their jobs or being unjustly terminated uh, goes down because there are so many people who are in that same boat who, you know, the, the sentiment just kind of turns into, you should, you should be glad to have a job or like, you know, you, what about me? And it's, it's unfortunate that it goes that way at the same time. I mean, we've got a, we've got a feel for the massive unemployment that's, that's happening right now. And I don't know what the, what the future is going to hold for it. Um, it's hard to believe that we're going to be able to just turn this thing around um, very, very quickly. But, but yeah, when, uh, when unemployment goes up and the economy goes bad, it usually is a time that workers are more and more and more taken advantage of because if, uh, if somebody doesn't want to work for a minimum wage or if somebody doesn't want to work for, you know, just over minimum wage or doesn't want to work the weekends or do 60 hours a week or whatever, um, there's a whole line of people behind them that will do anything. And it just, it facilitates this, um, race to the bottom that we always talk about in unions. Um, you know, if, if so, there's always someone who will do it cheaper unless you've got like full employment, which we were, we were pretty close. I mean, we had a, a, an outstanding employment situation for the last few years. Um, and that was driving up wages and, you know, creating the need for employers to provide better benefits and better conditions and things like that. And when you have higher unemployment, uh, all that kind of goes away and you can, you've got a bigger pool of people to say, you know, who will do this for the least amount of money. Uh, Ed, I had a, somebody asked me a question they wanted me to bring to you and that has to do with hazard pay. Uh, what rights do workers have okay. frontline workers who are, have no choice, but to uh, put their lives on the line uh, in, 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 during the pandemic, uh, what rights do they have regarding hazard pay? Do they have any rights to get automatic increases because their uh, lives are threatened uh, because they have to go to work. So hazard pay usually has to be defined by law or by um, like an, a collective bargaining agreement. Uh, we saw some of the medical workers in the city of Chicago get hazard pay, but it took many of them dying without PPE or being infected without uh, protective equipment to be able to negotiate that. It wasn't something that they were just entitled to. Um, the federal government has talked about uh, putting hazard pay into some of its relief. Uh, that hasn't materialized yet. Uh, for example, with uh, operating engineers with uh, Local 150, we have hazard pay in our agreements, and it's basically for, there are different levels of hazard pay depending on 
the hazard of the job that you're performing. But these hazards are things like, uh, you know, cleaning up old uh, chemical sites and things like that, um, you know, like hazmat uh, facilities and things like that where you have to wear, like, the yellow suit and go out there and work. You can get hazard pay of a couple extra dollars an hour for that. Um, there's nothing in our agreements for, um, for pandemics. And we've seen cities like Boston uh, shut down construction over this and, uh, you know, to, to do that put a tremendous amount of people out of work. And on many construction sites, you can socially distance, you can wear masks, you can wear proper PPE, and you can work in, in relative safety. Um, and so one of our goals has been to try to keep people working whenever it can be done safely and to provide for them whatever they need to do that work safely. So some of the people that have lost their jobs are, um, you know, people who worked construction workers who were building things in the convention halls and things like that because the convention business is dried up or jobs where uh, somebody got sick. Uh, but in, in a lot of jobs that our members work on, you're sitting in a piece of equipment that's enclosed by yourself uh, for the entirety of the day. And so we're able to provide those workers with some masks, some PPEs, make sure that uh, their employer is doing that. And if their employer is not doing it, then we're working to provide all that. Um, but it is important that when we can do that, when we can keep people working and doing so safely, um, I mean, those are families that are not going on unemployment. Those are people that are able to continue to earn a living. So, uh, I mean, from the beginning of this, we've taken a, a look at this in a way where we want to see if this work can be done safely. If it's a situation where it can be done safely uh, with protective equipment, then that's the route we want to to go if we're sure that it can be done safely. If it can't be done safely, something else has got to be done. Um, an example of that is on high-rise buildings in the city of Chicago, you've got uh, elevator operators, and those are members of Local 150. So what they do is all the workers and all the tools and all the materials and the windows and the drywall and all of the things that go into building one of those high-rises that are not hoisted up by a crane go through one of these big elevators. So the people that are operating these elevators are shoulder to shoulder with every single person on that project and God knows how much equipment and delivery guys all day long. Um, so that is something that had to be addressed because um, members just weren't willing to weren't willing to do that. They recognized that it was not a safe situation. But if you shut down elevators, you essentially shut down an enormous project. So we uh, we met with our contractors, shared our concern, tried to find a way to get this done safely. And what we were able to do was limit the amount of people that can go into an elevator based on the size of the elevator so that everybody would be able to stand further apart from each other and that everybody would have masks. Um, and so fewer people are on the elevators. There's a little bit more up and down throughout the day, but it's something that our members had were able to weigh in on, something that we shared our concern with our employers and that they agreed to. Uh, and it made that it made that work. Now, if we hadn't been able to find a way to make that work, and we couldn't find people to do the job or wouldn't recommend that people do the job because it couldn't be done safely, that might have shut down projects. Um, so, again, in construction, what we're trying to do is find to, to ensure that these people can continue to work safely, continue to earn a living um, as long as it's possible to do so. Well, that is the challenge. And I was talking to you before we went on the air about Elon Musk's comment uh, I think he called the state of California fascist because uh, ultimately they forced him to shut down one of his plants. Uh, and uh, the issue there, as I understand it, was 
there was no guarantee that the employees at the plant uh, would be safe. That uh, just because of testing limitations alone, they couldn't guarantee that they wouldn't contract uh, the virus. Uh, So that, you know what I'm saying? This is a struggle that's happening uh, throughout the country. By the way, did you feel sorry for Elon Musk uh, after he uh, went public with his comments? No, I mean, there, and we, we've seen some similar things in the state of Illinois. I mean, John, Representative John Cabello is now suing to, to uh, get the stay-at-home order thrown out because he's saying that it's unlawful to regulate uh, somebody's physical activity. Um, you know, so like you win a lawsuit like that, and what have you done? You've put people back out onto the streets in an unsafe situation. Uh, you know, if that, if that happens... It'll be, you know, I, I wish him luck sleeping well at night because he's going to have a lot of uh, a lot of harm on his conscience. Conscience, but uh, but no, I mean, if you if you can't reasonably guarantee the safety of your workers, you can't expect them to continue to come to work. Um, and I mean, the the stay at home order has impacted a lot of people. A lot of businesses have been businesses have been closed, and uh, you know, essentially, we've as a society sacrificed our economy to protect public health. Um, and that's been a difficult decision for a lot of people. And as it has gone on, it's become more and more difficult for people as they've been out of work longer and longer. Um, in Elon Musk's case, I mean, he had this, this, these comments were made, um, in the wake of an earnings call, uh, where he, if he had met, I forget what the threshold was, but if he had met a target on revenue, he was going to make, uh, like $750 million. He was going to get a bonus of something like that. So, I mean, yeah, if he was frustrated, that's what he was frustrated about. Um, so no, I mean, I, I don't necessarily have a whole lot of, um, a whole lot of sympathy there. I mean, I, I, I feel sympathy for the workers. Uh, I wish that it was a situation where they were able to show up and make a living because them making their, you know, couple thousand dollars every two weeks is a lot more important to me than Elon Musk making $750 million for earnings. Because if he doesn't get the $750 million, it's not a big change in his life. Whereas the people that are working there who can't, you know, if he's got, if he's got the money that he's got and he's, he's a very inventive guy. I mean, he woke up and said, I want to send a rocket to Mars. And so far he's doing a pretty damn good job of getting there. Um, you know, but he, he talked about building ventilators, right? Yeah. Wasn't he going to supply ventilators? And it never happened. Um, you know, supply the people that work for you with a, a safe workplace. And he's a smart guy. He's a big ideas guy. And if he wanted to, to come up with some ideas to keep his business open, I'm sure he could have figured something out if he just focused on that. And I'm sure the state of uh, California would have been accommodating with him if, if he really did come through with that. Uh, all right. And I want to close uh, with a topic that we just discussed uh, again in a different time, in a different setting, uh, in a different universe before the pandemic. That's the constitutional amendment uh, that your union is supporting. Uh, talk a little bit about it and the status of it. Yeah. So we, uh, the workers' rights amendment, it would, um, it would ban limiting collective bargaining. Uh, for employees in the state of Illinois. Basically, it would protect collective bargaining from attacks like right-to-work laws or uh, from people saying that public employees couldn't bargain about, they could bargain about this, but not this, or this, but not this. So just selective bans on, on the topics of collective bargaining. So, um, and I mean, at this time, to, to protect workers' ability to bargain for, um, you know, 
whether it's hazard pay or whether it's uh, adequate safety equipment or things like that, safety training, those are things that people can bargain for now. And we see the need to do that. I think we're going to see a lot more workers um, emphasizing their contract negotiations on things like that instead of wages or benefits. Um, it's going to be more directed towards safety and training. Um, and so we were looking to protect that. And then this came along and it, it became an ever more present need. Uh, but to get on a ballot for the November 3rd general election, it's got to be passed. Uh, a resolution has got to be passed out of both chambers of the state legislature by May 3rd, uh, six months before the general election. And of course, they haven't been in session in you know a couple of months now. So that uh, that hasn't happened to this point. It looks like it, at the moment it's unlikely to happen. But, um, you know, we're reviewing options. We're reviewing options right now because the, um, you know, there was a case involving the Green Party and the Libertarian Party where uh, they argue that they didn't have uh, ballot access. And some of the things that came out in the decision suggested that, um, that there might be a way to, to go after this, saying that there was no opportunity to get on the ballot because the legislature hadn't been open. So this six month rule perhaps could be uh, relaxed or, you know, there, there might be some other way around it, but we are, we're committed to this. We were committed to this before the pandemic. We're more, more committed now than ever uh, just because it's so important that workers have the right to, uh, to, to have a voice in the conditions and what they get out of the job, um, you know, heading into an economy where those things are going to be threatened. So, uh, if there's a way to get this done, we are going to get this done. All right. Uh, and I'm just going to say this like every time I do uh, when this topic is raised, this is me speaking. It's not Ed Maher speaking. So uh, I have a lot of liberal friends who are liberal on social issues, but uh, they, they say they're conservative on uh, workers' rights and union issues. And I always like to point out that uh, the reason the de- Republicans were able to win Wisconsin uh, is is because Scott Walker essentially decimated the the unions of his state, the public employee unions, uh, anyway in his state, and that gave Republicans a huge advantage. So all these issues are tied together. Uh, if you're only going to stand up for one wing of the Democratic Party or what they believe in, you're really not helping the party as a whole because one element uh, depends on the other. So, Ed, I'm going to get off my soapbox with that one. That's me speaking, not you. But that's to my uh, liberal friends who believe in things like environmental regulations and women's rights to choose uh, and maybe uh, legalizing reefer. But they're a little wobbly when it comes to, you. well, Ben, you know, I'm not really a union guy. and uh, So that's my uh, sermon for the day, uh, Ed Maher. All right, Ed. Well, that's why we love you, Ben. Uh, yeah, <laughs> get in trouble with my liberal friends all the time. All right, Ed, thank you so much. Yeah. Stay safe, stay sound. We'll talk to you next month, all right? All right, take care, Ben. See you later, Dennis. Hey, take care, buddy. Keep it down over there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Trying talk my best. <laughs> all right, everybody, Ed Maher. And there he goes, off the brown line. All right, uh, before we roll out of here, we want to remind everybody that uh, we will – be posting uh, an additional interview uh, tonight. And uh, Ben, who's it going to be? Uh, who is to? Oh, it's a cannabis conversation. All right. Cannabis. <laughs> Wait, no, no, no. That's that's dropping this weekend, D. <laughs> Too much reef. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, we, we didn't do the pre-show prep. That's the problem. Okay. Yeah, that's what we're doing now. Thursdays and Fridays, we yeah. keep the uh, second part out, and then we use those as bonus interviews. So my apologies, but be on the lookout for that's that this correct. week. Be on the lookout for that this weekend at both Chicago Sun Times and Chicago Reader websites, and wherever 
else you download your favorite podcast. But can I just give one uh, tease, D? Can I can I do that? Tease away. Yeah, uh, Micah Urick will be uh, one of our guests. For oh, hey man! <laughs> booming voice that feller's he got. Does. Mike is, he just wrote his book about uh, Bernie Sanders, and there was that. Ah, uh, oh, Bernie. <laughs> So, <laughs> sorry. And we just had a deep uh, voice feller on Ed, Ed Bauer. Oh, hey. <laughs> Burley. <laughs> so, uh, Micah, looking forward to that interview. It's going to be a lot of fun talking politics with Micah. All right. We do have an update here before we ride out of here. Uh, it's an update, Ben, on, well, the subject of your uh, love letters in the last two years. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I love Nancy Pelosi. House Speaker oh, Bab. Pelosi. We're getting in trouble with Babs, man. <laughs> House Speaker Nancy Pelosi yeah. uh, today, and shout out to Roe for this. She uh, made me aware of this news here. She was just asked about that big blue elephant in the room regarding mm. Joe Biden today. Ooh, During a press say? briefing, she was asked about his sexual assault allegation from one Tara Reid, the Washington Examiner's Carrie Pickett, asked if there was a double standard concerning the allegation against Joe Biden. I have the audio. Like to hear it? Hear it go. Oh, wait, hold on. Oh, this happens a lot here on the show lately, huh? All right, please, for the love of God, stop embarrassing me. All right, one second. Ben, hey, who's that out in the alley? Uh, Kitty. Kitty's down the alley. Here she comes. A cat? Here she come. Well, there's a song. Forget it. It's You wouldn't know it because Bruce Springsteen, and that's our age-old argument. Uh, that Bruce Springsteen's not popular downstate. All right, hang tight with me, gang. We got to play this audio before we write. Yeah, we got to hear. I really want to hear this. This is this is sort of breaking news that the Democrats are finally, finally talking about it. Oh, yeah. hoping it would would go go away. Uh, uh-uh, uh, it's not going anywhere. You got it, D. I'm trying to get it here. Oh, man, I'm dying to hear this. What did Nancy Pelosi say? Was it a duck and a dodge? Was it a, a good evasion? Did she? All right, here we go. How do uh, Democrats square with the idea that that they're essentially a, they're they're standing by Biden, but they're using a comparatively different standard with uh, with the Kavanaugh when when you demanded a uh, a investigation on Justice Kavanaugh when a very similar uh, allegation came out on him. Uh, well, let, let me just say, uh, I, I respect your question, and I don't need a, a, a lecture or a speech. Oh, sounds Here's like she really respected it. I have complete respect for the whole Me Too movement. I have four daughters and one son, and uh, there's a lot of excitement around the idea that women will be heard and be listened to. There is also due process, and uh, the fact that Joe Biden is Joe Biden uh, we, there's been s- statements from his campaign, or not his campaign, but his former employees who ran his offices and the rest, that there was never any record of this. There was never any record. And that uh, nobody ever came forward or nobody ever came forward to say something about it apart from the principal involved. I am so proud. The happiest day for me this week was to support Joe Biden for president of the United States. He's a person of great integrity, a great concern for the American people. He authored the Violence Against Women Act uh, when he was the chair of the Judiciary Committee uh, in the 90s. He has been an advocate for funding it all along since then. And I, uh, uh, I believe that uh, uh, he will be 
a great president of the United States. Uh, he is the personification of hope and optimism uh, and authenticity uh, for our country, a person of great values. Uh, so I want to remove all doubt in anyone's mind. I have great comfort level uh, with the, the situation as I see it, uh, with all the respect in the world for any woman who comes forward, uh, with all the highest regard for Joe Biden. And that's what I have to say about that. Thank you. Do, do I get to comment now? <laughs> Got a couple names comments. on that banner, buddy. <laughs> Dennis is under the table. I don't know what to say. You say it. No, man, I got a lot to say about that. First of all, it is a bit of a duck and a dodge. But I love Nancy Pelosi, okay? Because she's the master at the game. Look, you know what? I wish people were honest. It's never going to happen, D. Ever, ever, ever going to be happened. What if Nancy Pelosi said, yeah, look, here's the deal, man. It was a tactic. We used it against Brett Kavanaugh because we didn't want him to go into the Supreme Court. So there was a tactic that we used to dredge up that old case. Yep, that was a tactic then. And guess what? It's a tactic now that you're raising the question because I believe that lady's from a Republican newspaper. So it's a, you're using it now just now. So you don't care anymore about uh, women victims than we do. It's just tactics in a larger political game. And I believe that ultimately Joe Biden as president would uh, have laws and appointees that would protect women more than Donald John Trump. So ultimately, our tactic will work to the advantage of women. Boy, that would be an honest answer, well, Andy. Well, what do you think about that uh, statement she made there? Uh, Joe Biden is Joe Biden. Like Trump, Trump's going to Trump. Joe yeah, Biden well, is Joe I mean, Biden. that's what we're getting down to. I mean, that ultimately, that's a whole different situation. Uh, each candidate has flaws. Joe Biden has many flaws, as we've discussed in this show many times, not the least of which is that he's to the right of where most Democrats are, and Democrats nominate him because of that. They go, well, I'll nominate the guy I don't really believe in because it'll win over people that I don't agree with, and that's what we, we're doing everything we can to beat Donald Trump. And the second flaw, obviously, is that Joe Biden seems to be heading toward what? I don't know. Losing his marbles country sometimes. What's that little bit that you always play where Joe Biden, listen here, yeah, the sounds your kids make, the radio. So uh, <laughs> I was doing my Joe Biden imitation, really wasn't a good one. No. So yes, that's what Democrats are going to be saying. Joe Biden is Joe Biden. You're going to hear a lot of that coming up. Like every time Joe Biden fumbles, every time Joe Biden says the opposite of what he uh, intends to say every time uh, Joe Biden's stories from the past are brought up about how he inappropriately touched people. Remember that one day? That's how this Tara Reid thing started. You know, originally Tara Reid was saying that Joe Biden uh, inappropriately touched her, uh, you know, like sort of fondling her, or patting her in the head or whatever. Uh, and then it then she got a little more specific and uh, her accusation became a little tougher. Uh, but uh, so, yes, you're going to hear a lot. Well, that's Joe. You know, and by the way, D, that's the way it is. The Democrats have nominated a flawed candidate. There is no perfect candidate. Every candidate has flaws. Uh, this candidate has a lot of flaws. And Donald Trump will put a spotlight on those flaws every bit as much as he can. And Joe Biden will do the same to Donald Trump. So it's going to be a humbug. And it's going to be all about getting your voters to the polls. It's going to be about registering registering voters. It's going to be about uh, voting by mail more often than not. You're going to have to fight the Republicans on that issue in the courts. So, yeah, it's not like these are perfect candidates. 
Joe Biden is Joe Biden and Donald Trump is Donald Trump and everybody knows what's at stake. So I just, you know, listen, politicians can't be as honest as I was. I'm not running for office, D. I'm running a podcast from my attic overlooking the alley. Big difference. All right. And uh, thanks again to Roe for uh, bringing that. Story. Thank you, Roe. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for bringing that to my attention here. Uh, she also commented on the live stream chat uh, about Nancy Pelosi. Uh, I bet she will be walking it back pretty soon. People are shocked. She said it like Trump be Trump. And Brianna said, uh, why do I feel like Ben's girlfriend? I mean, Nancy. <laughs> Did she really say Ben's girlfriend? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that Brianna. Why do I feel like Ben's girlfriend will be eating her words soon? And she says, Ro, I think you're right on this. Uh, Well, you know what? Now, here's the thing. We've said this before. Um, Are there going to be other accusers that emerge? You know that? Then when the pattern's set, I've said it all along, I could see a moment where the leaders of the Democratic Party go to Joe Biden and say, Joe, for the good of the team, you're going to have to step down. Now, uh, for the good of the team, get lost. Yeah, you know, uh, remember that Remember that fantasy I had, Barack Obama comes to him, uh, peanut butter cup. Uh, but, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like that's happening now. Everybody's rallying around, Joe. So at the very least, you're going to have to have uh, some Teddy Kennedy-like speech. Oh, my God, I'm showing my age with that one. So we'll hold off before I do a deep dive in Chappaquiddick. But some kind of... A speech where he apologizes but doesn't apologize uh, you know how it's done folks and then like i said it's going to be a brawl and uh i don't think if he does that speech and no other women come forward they're sticking with joe no matter what i say in the attic no matter what uh, any of our listeners my beloved lefty listeners want I think they're sticking with Joe. All right. We're going to see what happens uh, when we come back tomorrow. We'll be talking all about it and the local news as always. I hope everybody takes care and all that good stuff. Yes, indeed. Uh, And Dr. D, I just want to say one thing. I can't wait to go down to Alton and hear a concert from Dr. Doobie and his white lightnings. Take care, everybody. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow. crisis to waste as the old saying goes like most of chicago uh, the first two episodes of the last dance on espn and that people were texting you during those those first two episodes were you able to watch the the, the latest uh, two episodes three and four i i, I did and uh, i think people figured out that uh between uh, eight and ten o'clock on sunday night don't bother 
How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question.